Intentionally Grown. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 70 features the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach for Northern Illinois University, Eric Eidness. Coach will talk to us about his background in coaching, starting from his playing days at St. Cloud State University all the way to his current position at Northern Illinois. Coach will also discuss with us the adjustments he's had to make with players transitioning from high school to college, as well as formulating your offensive identity to fit your personnel. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 20, with Coach Eric Eidness, starts now. Tell us a bit about yourself. Well, yeah, first of all, I, I, I'm married to Brandy, uh, my wife, uh, which in the coaching profession, that person is a, is a saint. <laughs> uh, I've got three kid, or four kids. I've got two boys, two girls. Eli is 15, and he's a freshman at DeKalb High School. Otto is a sixth grader. Uh, Isla is in fourth grade and then Olive's a first grader. So a uh, busy household um, around here, but uh, it's, they're really into the football and, and really embrace being around, going to practices and things like that. And uh, I've been coaching college football for 26 years. So they, they kind of just keep adding up. But, um, you know, just blessed to be able to do this and, and have a healthy family and, and uh, see, where, see where the journey takes us. Uh, Coach, you also played college football at both South or St. Cloud State and the University of Sioux Falls. Now, once your collegiate career ended, you went and played two years of professional football in Europe. Tell us what it was like to play football in a different country and some of the things you learned over there. Yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a crazy experience uh, in a good way. Um, first off, I, was, I had just started student teaching. Um, after I got done with my playing at, at University of Sioux Falls and literally was my first week out in the field with the student teaching. I got a phone call um, from a guy uh, who was connecting to another, for another guy for me to go over and, and play in Europe. And so in a matter of one week's time, I got a passport, got a, on the airplane and, and landed in Paris, France. Um, the next day the team was loading the plane to go play in the South of France. And I didn't play that game, obviously, but went and watched and, and kind of sat with their president and stuff and then started playing. Um, so really I joined the team week three, uh, of that their quarterback was a kid, um, who had played at uh, Oregon state and just whatever things weren't working out and they let him go. And, and I came in and, um, you know, it was really a good experience for me. Uh, kind of the way it worked was you would play three weeks and then you had a bye week or a week off. And uh, we had on it, and you could play three on the field at a time. So you kind of had to rotate, you know, things around. 
And so really the, the best teams had the best European players. And uh, we were fortunate to, to play pretty well the first year. We finished second in our division, but in the playoffs, we went to the finals, lost in the finals. Um, second year coming back, I went there early. And then I was involved in the European draft um, as far as, you know, scouting some players and some stuff like that. We won the division that year and then um, fell in the semifinal. So it, from a football standpoint, it was really good. Now, for me, travel-wise, when I first got there, you know, they had just sent their quarterback home. So I didn't really take a, advantage of much travel, you know, things right away because I wanted to make sure I could secure my job, <laughs> so to speak. But then after I got comfortable and we were playing well, um, we traveled quite a bit. So on those off weeks, um, a lot of it, we went to London. We went to um, uh, Barcelona, Spain. We went to Germany. We went to uh, <clears throat> Italy. Um, the last week I was there, we, uh, my first year, we landed in Italy and then toured all the way down to Saint-Tropez, the, the French Riviera, which was, that was about a seven or eight day journey with no itinerary. We just had a great time. So, you know, I didn't do great on picking up language um, as far as those things, but meeting people, uh, it was kind of, it was really interesting. Um, a few years ago, they were actually from our championship team. They're having a 20 year reunion and wanted me to come back. But obviously with coaching, it, it didn't work out to do that. But I've gotten random emails along, you know, from the years of former guys I played with, uh, with guys that were coaching over there um, that were either going to be visiting the States or guys that were from the States and, and just wanted to connect and talk ball. And, you know, it's just a really cool thing. Um, honestly, for me, never had any intention of leaving the United States to do anything. And uh, it's just never been on my radar. So to get a chance to go out and do that and explore, probably one of the coolest things was just having family and friends come and visit. I mean, you know, we had an, I had an apartment, I had a car, I had transportation. So if people could get there, they could stay with me. And really, it would be a pretty uh, economical vacation, so to speak. Basically, we lived in Paris, a, a suburb. So, you know, it was a pretty cool thing, tourist-wise uh, and just history um, to, to go around there and, and learn and, and uh, just explore. Coach, when you got done playing, you, you had several stops along your coaching career at the college level, including Morningside, uh, which is a, you know, in Northwest Iowa, and then South Dakota State as a GA, and then Ferris State. Then you went back to SDSU. Uh, then you got your first head football job at Southwest Minnesota State. Talk a little bit about all those different stops and how you were able to evolve as, as a football coach as you held many different roles along your journey. Yeah, so started out at Morningside. Charlie Cowdery was the head football coach there. Um, and Charlie had, had been in the coaching profession a long, long time. Um, really got that job through Noel Olson, who had been the, the old commissioner of the North Central Conference. And Noel introduced me to Charlie and got me an interview there. Um, while I was there, I coached quarterbacks and, and worked with receivers um, with him. I was there for three years. Really, uh, at that point, you know, I had grown up in a coaching family. Um, but really, the first few years you become a coach, you really realize, you know, how much there is to learn. And, you know, and, and now you're getting away from just your position and you're really growing from a technical standpoint, um, you know, to, to – what everybody else is supposed to do and why they're supposed to do it. 
the organization it takes to, you know, be a coach, all the different things that are going on, you know, from not just practices, but game planning, recruiting, um, you know, and I loved it. It was, it was fun. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I was able to have, you know, three good years there. Coach Cowdery got let go um, after our third season. So obviously our staff, you know, we were tied to him. Um, Dave Elliott came in and, and asked me to stay um, on his staff. And, you know, he just said, hey, try it for a week. Let's just see, you know, what you think. And then let me know. And I had already um, put a bunch of resumes or feelers out to places to be a graduate assistant because I felt like I needed to get my master's. And at Morningside, I wasn't a graduate assistant, so hadn't really worked much on my master's. Um, and so I had an offer at um, Nebraska Omaha, South Dakota State, North Dakota U. And um, I met with Mike Daly, and I felt like, you know, South Dakota State, um, being a South Dakota kid, um, it was a great opportunity to go there. He was going to let me coach a position because I had experience coaching. and. Um, you know, working for Coach Daly um, at, at Morningside, we were more of a two-back offense. Going to, you know, South Dakota State, Mike Daly was a one-back guy and had really done some good things there, you know, with their offense. And uh, so, you know, I coached the wide receivers there uh, while I was a graduate assistant. After our first year and right before, I never forget, fall camp, our second year, Coach Daly had a team meeting in the locker room and uh, announced that he was going to be retiring after the season. So coach Stiglmeyer was going to be taken over. And um, so I, you know, was involved with both coach Daly and coach Stiglmeyer as a graduate assistant. Um, then after that season, my uh, graduate assistantship was up and I stayed that spring, you know, finishing um, my uh, master's work. But then a job opened at Ferris State and, you know, I was hired there as the running back coach and special teams coordinator and uh, did that that spring um, for them. So got there right before spring ball started and learned um, really a phenomenal staff of guys. Jeff Pierce was our head coach. Uh, Butch Jones, who uh, was the offensive coordinator, and then left and was a head coach at you know, Central Michigan, then Cincinnati, and then ultimately Tennessee, and that, and now he's at University of Alabama um, as an assistant. But uh, Butch was there. Matt Limegrover was our O-line coach at the beginning. Uh, Matt just got done being the O-line coach at Penn State, and then Bill Biedenboe took over. Bill's the O-line coach at Oklahoma. Um, Tim Banks was on our staff. He's the linebacker coach at Penn State right now, and Jay Sobel was on our staff, and Jay's the D coordinator at Wyoming right now. So, I mean, just around great football guys, you know, and I learned so much that year um, with Butch. Well, I should say that spring. That spring, Butch got the, the tight ends job at Central Michigan, and then I got elevated to offensive coordinator. So, really um, got an opportunity, got a break early on in my career, you know, to be able to do that. And we had a really good season. Um, and we had everybody on offense. We had 10 guys coming back and we had put up some really good numbers. Um, but really there from Butch, I learned a lot with, you know, just, um, using motions and shifts and sets and, and Butch was a West coast offensive guy. He had learned from Bill Walsh when Bill was at Stanford. And so really being able to just, you know, study with him for that spring 
and then, you know, really run a lot of his system. Some of what we had done at South Dakota State I brought with, but that was really a, a time that I really, um, I felt like learned a lot and really fully plan on coming back there. And then South Dakota State, Jeff Menage was the offensive coordinator there. Jeff took the offensive coordinator job at University of North Dakota uh, late in the process, I mean, in the summer. And so I went back for a wedding in, in Morris, Minnesota. Um, and while I was there, Coach Stegelmeyer talked to me. And so I went in and interviewed uh, two days after that. And he hired me as the offense coordinator to come back to South Dakota State. And I really struggled because I wanted to be loyal to Ferris. Um, it was a great football area because all the MAC schools and Michigan, Michigan State, Notre Dame, I mean, everything was so close. You had great opportunities to go and study and learn. But you know, family's important to me and a chance to come back and be around family. And South Dakota State's always, you know, I mean, we had some good years while I was a GA and, and I just felt like the, the North Central Conference, I felt like was the best Division II conference and just the familiarity to to do that. So came back there. Now, the, the charge was uh, coach wanted to run a two-back offense. And so you know, we implemented that, but we also tweaked it. But we had to really change everything because when um, Coach Daly left, they took a one-back system and tried to kind of combine it into a two-back system, and it really didn't flow. So we had to, in a matter of eight days, I had to teach the staff who I knew, you know, those guys, but had to teach them a, a totally new system. So we changed all the protections. We changed all the – um, we went from a number system in routes to a, a word system, which is West Coast based, um, you know, just different things like that. We went eight and three that year, um, had a really good first year. Um, the players really bought in. Obviously, Josh Ronick was a special player at tailback. And um, so that was a good start as far as a two back offense to be able to have a guy that could do that. But Andy Rennerfeld was our quarterback and, and really, you know, teaching him a new system. And he grew, you know, while he was there uh, during that time. And, you know, it just kind of took off and, and we became multiple. Um, the more that, you know, my stint there went on. Um, but I really just, you know, at that point learned um, how important it was to because really there I was myself and Coach Russell, the offensive line coach, we're the only two full time guys on the offensive side. And so we had graduate assistants that would rotate through every couple of years. So really just um, we did a lot of group teaching and then I would let the graduate assistants do a lot of the individual work, um, but really just making sure that we had one voice and, and one uh, understanding of how it should be done. So the players would hear it that way um, and then let those guys as young coaches, you know, grow and develop and do some, some, you know, what, what you do, right, when you get started. Um, but it was really a good experience. And then, you know, while I was there, I had, you know, been contacted by a few different schools, uh, different things, but ultimately, you know, took the Southwest Minnesota State head job um, after, after being there for seven years and went to Southwest. Um, really, it was, uh, I, I, you know, I was young and, uh, really had a lot of energy uh, and thought that, you know, you can kind of uh, conquer whatever through hard work, which I think hard work can make up for a lot. But I do think that uh, funding, staffing, 
and scholarships are important. <laughs> I learned that really fast. Um, so we had to raise a lot of money while I was there um, to be able to fund the program the way I felt like it needed to be funded to give the kids the experience, you know, that they, they needed to have. And, you know, the kids really bought into what we were doing staff wise. Um, you know, I called the plays early on and did that just because we, we didn't have enough positions to really hire a true coordinator. Um, I brought Tim Steinbach with me from South Dakota state to be the defensive coordinator. Tim's a, um, one of the assistant ADs there right now. And really just, I was able to surround myself with some really good people, but you know, we were, we were down about seven scholarships from the top of the league. Um, and we had some pretty good teams, but really needed to just get a few more guys to, to be better uh, and make that next jump. And, you know, it was one of those things where while I was there, uh, we went from, I went from getting married to starting a family and doing things like that. And, and really at that point, you know, I just, in my life, I really, um, realized that, you know, I missed the football aspect of it. I was still calling plays and doing those things. But when you're a head coach and you're speaking at the Rotary and you're going to the Kiwanis Club and you're, you know, doing those types of things, it takes you away from just the true football aspect. And, you know, I was still really young uh, at that time. And, you know, I, I didn't like, you know, uh, wasn't not liking being the head coach, but you're just more setting the vision for the program and you're motivating the kids that way. And the, the football piece of it is, is a lot less. And so, you know, then I had an opportunity to go back to uh, South Dakota State. Um, it was a hard decision because we had some really uh, tough things happen at, at Southwest. Um, I had behind the scenes, you know, accepted the position, but I had a player die um, during, you know, right at the beginning for workouts, um, had another player that had a, you know, kind of a breakdown. Um, there were local kids. One, well, the one that died was from Madison, South Dakota. The one that had the breakdown was from uh, Marshall, Minnesota. I had another kid that got paralyzed, a South Dakota kid in a farming accident. There was a lot of things that, you know, really you you can't plan for and so really put the move off for a couple weeks coach Stiglmeyer was really understanding um just because I said I need to be with these guys even though I'm going to be leaving them I can't just leave them in this situation so we loaded up the team and went to Ben's funeral um and then uh just kind of worked through some other things and met with the president a lot just to see the direction he was planning he ended up hiring Corey Sauter one of my assistants to be the head coach there and I just felt like I wanted to make sure everything was right. The assistant coaches were taken care of. They're all going to be retained. Um, and so as I moved on, so, you know, moved on with really a heavy heart um, as far as those types of things, but went to South Coast state was, was super excited about going back there, excited about the football piece of it, just getting more into the coordinating aspect again, and really being able to put the time into that. Uh, the challenge of moving up to FCS, obviously that was a, a big deal. And uh, really it was the first time I had been around a bigger staff because their staff had grown considerably, you know, in the move. So now all of a sudden we had a full-time tight ends coach, a full-time receivers coach, a full-time uh, offensive line. Uh, I coached the quarterbacks. You know, we had a graduate assistant that assisted with the O-line and a graduate assistant that coached running backs. 
And um, so what I really learned at that point was to start utilizing more people, you know, and I think that was something that, you know, you hire people and they all have their strengths and stuff. And, and now I started to delegate more things out. But what it allowed us to do was, you know, get more thoughts and game planning, get more ideas, um, give guys responsibilities, um, you know, to help develop them as coaches, you know, to do different things. And I think that, you know, that was the thing that uh, I was not used to, to having that many people, but it was really refreshing um, on a game day to have more sets of eyes. It was really refreshing to be around more guys when you went into game planning, you know, situations just to, to get different ideas and, and develop. And I think at every level, the more you can utilize the people around you, you know, the better you're going to be. And I think the, the, the one thing I've realized, you know, in coaching is that as soon as you think you have the answers or as soon as you think you can do it all, you're, you're going to be humbled and fail, you know? So you need to really rely on people. And, and really the longer I do this, the more you realize that, you know, in this profession, somebody gave you an opportunity and somebody mentored you and helped you along the way. And I was fortunate to have some really good people do that. Um, you just kind of really, you're, you're excited for young people when they come in, you're excited to see them on their journey and, and see them grow you know, and do those things. And I think that's, you know, something that's, that's, uh, that's an awesome feeling, but, um, you know, so having more people, you know, at South Dakota state, the second time through, um, it was, it was a lot of fun, uh, just the camaraderie you get, but also, you know, the consistency because we were able to retain people for a long time. And I think that helps you build your program strong. It helps you, you know, with your players, as far as the consistency is what of what they're being you know taught you're getting it's a lot easier to have one voice coming through to them as far as you you know united and, and you know that was really something that we really grew now um you know being there um the offense while with more people and recruiting and stuff and a different level the offense evolved or you know was continually changing um, with that being said. And so, you know, it, that was fun too, uh, just to, to see, you know, the growth and, and what we were doing and the ability to go out and study other places and, and, uh, get new thoughts and new ideas and, and what was going to fit, you know, what we were doing. So. Okay. Coach, what's, you know, a lot of the people that you deal with are young athletes that are making that transition from high school to college. What do you think is the biggest adjustment for those players making that leap? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it is a big leap. And, you know, really, uh, they're all used to being the best player on their team. I mean, they really are. And they've been, usually they've been that guy since they were little, right? You know, and so they were the guy everybody looked to in the playground. They were the guy that was, you know, one of the first picked when they picked teams and did those things. And, you know, so it's not necessarily the egos, but you really, you know, in the recruiting process, you really want to get to know them and, and what they are capable of doing and not just athletically, but academically, how involved are they socially and those things because, um, guys that that are well-rounded tend to make the transition a lot easier uh, because they'll get involved in your campus they'll uh, be supportive on your your football team and you know they're used to being a part of a team um, so I think the the toughest thing is all of a sudden you know not giving any less but 
understanding that there's a lot of really good players and you know where do I fit in this team as far as my role and that's always a hard thing for guys coming in because like I said they're used to being the greatest player um, and then they're away from home for the first time so you're not going home mom and dad aren't telling you what time it is to study and what you need to do and you have Netflix you have Fortnite or you know Call of Duty or whatever you're whatever your, 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 your vice is, you know, that you like to do. And so you, you know, you want to tell kids, Hey, you can't stay up all night and do those things and think you're going to be successful in college. And so I think just the freedom that you are given and then being able to handle that freedom. And so as a coach, you're constantly talking about to guys about priorities, right? And so if you, if you take care of your responsibilities early, you get your work done, you study your playbook, you do the things you need to do, then you can do some things. But also, you know, you spend a lot of time talking to them about if you want to be great, then your lifestyle has to be one in which you, you allow yourself to be great. You have to get the right amount of sleep. You have to get the good, correct diet. You have to, you know, master your playbook um, to be able to do that stuff. And so just the balance between academics, athletics, and then also just learning that I, I may not be the best guy. Um, you know, I may be a role player. I may be a starter. I may be a special teams, you know, guy early on in my career. And so I think that's always the hardest for guys coming into college um, is just that piece of it. Other than that, it's, you know, it's 11 on 11 and, and you just, you play your position and do it. And I've had, eight and nine man players be great players. I've had, you know, the top, you know, 11 man guys, you know, come in and, and just be good players. And so it really doesn't matter what level they come from. I think it's the, you know, Dallas Goddard was a small, small town kid that, that came in and, um, you know, obviously learned really fast and, and developed as an athlete and, you know, was able to do great things. Um, Zach Zenner had one division one offer. Jake Winicky had one division one offer. Dallas Goddard, you know what I mean? So over and over, it doesn't have to be the highest recruited guy, you know, that can have the success. So. Coach, when you came back to South Dakota state, uh, well, I think one thing that stands out for anybody that's, that's followed you or the, or the Jacks or anything was that you had an incredible ability to adapt the offense to fit what you had in place. Right. So we had Zach Zenner, and he ran for 2,000 yards for three straight years. And then you ended up and you developed Taron Christian into, you know, a, essentially a three-year All-American. Talk about how you begin each year building your offense around the pieces that you have in place and maybe what you're going to end up with and how you put your guys in a position to have so much success. It's, it's one of those things that I think early in my career as an assistant – um, you know, you, you're, you're trying to just learn what you're doing and you're always trying to reach, you know, the people I'd worked for were trying to recruit players to fit into their system. And, you know, at some point in my career, I realized that I had some really good players, um, but maybe the system needed to be a little bit different to highlight them. And so at that point, really, um, you know, coming back to South Dakota State, um, you know, we looked at who their players were and we had Zach Zenner at tailback and we had Tyrell Cool at tailback and they were both really good players, probably two of our better offensive players. And I, I talked to Tyrell and I said, hey, you know, 
it doesn't make a lot of sense to have one of you guys on the bench and one of you guys playing. And I think if we utilize both of you guys, we'll be a much better offense. And so I moved Tyrell to wide receiver. Um, and back-to-back -back years, he had 1,000 yards receiving. He was a very good special teams player. And then Zach had his first 2,000-yard season. And I, I just think that, you know, so we sit down after the season, we do the cut-ups, and really what we look at is, okay, who do we have to make sure they touch the football? And then we, we look at those. And if it's a tight end, if it's a wide receiver, if it's a running back, then we look at, okay, how, how, how are we going to do that? You know, and, and what do they do well um, that we can get there? And so that's really a thing that, that we look at every year is those things. Then after we determine who those guys are, then we, we look at, can we trust them? Okay, and I think the guys that you can trust the most, and for me, those are the guys that are always on time. Those are the guys that you never have any academic issues with. Those are the guys that socially, they're, they're, they're on point. And so they're not the guy that, you know, when you walk into high school, maybe has four or five stars and the head coach says, you know, you're going to have to keep an eye on him all the time, but he's really a special guy. It doesn't mean that you won't find a, a role for somebody like that, but if you're going to put a lot of um, stock in somebody, you want it to be somebody you can count on. And so that is always something that as we look around, you know, if there's a lot of things that we think they, that person needs to develop in, then we're not going to try to give them the ball as many times if they're not as reliable and everything. Then after you've identified those guys, this is where I think um, this is something I didn't do early on in my career, but I have done it ever since, and that is I sit down with those players because everybody wants to be the star, right? And I tell them, hey, you know, we've identified you as a guy that we think can really be a big player in our, in our system. Now, with that comes a lot of responsibility, okay? You have to make sure that you are eating right. You have to make sure you're getting rest. If you're going to miss games and we're um, developing game plans for you, then you're you're not the guy for that job and that's okay. But there's, you know, everybody wants it, but not everybody wants it. You know, and I think that's the biggest thing is I was lucky enough to be around guys, you know, Jake Winicky, who never missed a start. Taron Christian never missed a start. Um, Dallas Goddard, uh, we limited him at times, but you know, he worked through injuries, didn't miss any starts. Zach Center never missed a start and to be a tailback and do that. But you know, they were doing yoga on Sundays. They were, you know, doing extra stretching. They were doing things that would allow them to be able to play on Saturdays. Now, sometimes we had to lessen their load during the week, not practice them as much, practice them only in certain situations. But there needed to be a return that they were giving to the team of, of assuming the responsibility of, of being healthy and, and ready to go you know, at all the times. And I think that's the biggest thing. So, you know, when we had Jake Winicky and Jason Schneider, they were both thousand yard receivers when Jake was just, you know, kind of coming on. Um, and we didn't have a great tight end, but then we graduated Jason and then Dallas was emerging. And so we had to figure out how do we get the ball to the tight end more? And so you, then you go out and you say, okay, who's getting the ball to the tight end. And, and for me, most of the time we study the NFL we can get the NFL film because they want our film to, to evaluate players. And so there's an agreement 
with colleges that as long as you give your film to them, you can get their film. And so what we would do is we would cut up all the things, you know, all the touches that the tight ends had. And we would look at, okay, who are the six teams we're going to study this offseason and see what they're doing. And some of the stuff we have, some of the stuff we don't have, and just look to see how we can do that. And, you know, Dallas had 93 catches and I think 70 some catches. And that's a lot for a tight end, obviously. But he was that type of player. And we had to figure out how could we get him the football. So, you know, then, then you know, Jake Winicky graduates and we had Kay Johnson. And Kay Johnson was a 5'11 receiver with really good quickness. And Jake was a 6'3 receiver. So very different people, right? Well, then we implemented a lot of fly sweep things, a lot of different things to get touches. And, you know, Cade's first year as a starter, I think he had over 1,300 yards receiving and set the Missouri Valley touchdown record with 17. Um, you know, and I think that it's one of those things that we had to just tweak what we were doing and figure out how could we do it. Instead of saying, Cade, you fit in this position and put him somewhere maybe he wouldn't excel as much, you know, we just studied in the offseason how to do that. And so I think the biggest thing it comes down to is it's players over plays in my philosophy is you have to have the players and then you develop the plays to get them the football, you know, from that sense. And then you have to make it a system, you know. And so you recruit to your, your offense that you want to run. But ultimately, when guys get there, you find out what their talents are and what they can do well. And that's, you know, how I adjust and, and how we, we uh, study things to try to make sure that our best guys are, are getting the opportunities because they're the ones that are going to make you a good coach and stuff like that. So it's fun because it's ever-changing. And, um, you know, sometimes you're going back to things you did in the past and other times you're, you're adding in new elements. So now you're at Northern Illinois. Uh, tell us a little bit about how year one went at Northern Illinois and maybe some of the things you're looking at to adjust or improve on for year two. Yeah, you know, it was it was really interesting. Um, this is the first time I've ever gone anywhere that um, when I was in charge that, you know, everybody was brand new. And so, um, you know, getting to know the coaches, getting to know uh, what their backgrounds were, what they what they knew. Um, and then teaching them, you know, the system that we wanted to run, and then also trying to evaluate the players that were here um, to see what their capabilities, you know, were of doing. And it was challenging that way because um, we had a lot of good coaches with a good experience. Our line coach came from the University of Buffalo, um, had a background with Coach Hammock, uh, wide receivers coach now, uh, Coach Sorrentino. He coached wide receivers in the NFL for five years. Um, you know, so we've had some guys that, that have some, some backgrounds with some being around really good. And then Coach Hammock, you know, I mean, having been an offensive guy, a running back guy, coached at the highest level uh, with a really, really good organization. So, you know, there was a lot of uh, learning and stuff that first year. But probably the biggest thing is, you know, football is football. It really comes down to a terminology thing. Um, we maintained – I would say 90% of the terminology that I've used over the years. And so those guys all had to learn that. And then, you know, once we figured out the, the, the players that were here, then we had to kind of look, well, you know, the quarterback situation was a little bit different because they had run a system where they were going to run the quarterback 20 to 25 times a game um, and really use him as their main ball carrier and not really rely on him much as a passer. 
And so for me, I want to be balanced and I want a guy that can do that. So there was a lot of um, teaching those guys and, and trying to develop them. But then we, we ultimately went out and, and found a grad transfer uh, who had started at Cal. Um, he could throw the ball really well. Um, he's a little bit more limited athletically. And so, you know, it, it was kind of building the system around his strengths a little bit. And then he got a concussion and missed five games. And so now we were back to running a little different system. So, you know, it was just one of those things that um, that the, in year one, we went through a lot as far as, you know, starting with the system that we wanted to run, we felt was going to be good. And then, you know, overcoming the injury and then moving forward from there. So it was one of those things that, uh, you know, football IQ wise and learning for our players, uh, it was an ever changing, evolving thing. Um, definitely year two, as far as for players and understanding the why uh, of what we want to do, I think is really important instead of just here's the play. And, you know, first you have to get through your install, but when they, when guys don't understand the why and as far as what you are trying to attack and what you're trying to do, then you grow so much and it gets to be such an easier game. Um, I've always allowed the quarterbacks to do a lot of checking in our system. And that's what made, you know, starting with Austin Sumner going to Taron Christian, um, you know, just the study of football and understanding where a defense is weak and then getting us into good plays is something that, you know, I've really relied on and, you know, you coach them really well during the week and then they make those decisions and they don't make some mistakes because, you know, uh, the defense game plans too, but they're going to get you into a lot of really good situations if they can, you know, understand and process. Well, that really wasn't part of what was here. So just that and starting to understand the why as far as what you want to do, um, there was a lot of growth this winter. And we spent a lot of time this winter on – we have what's called football school. And so um, we take some of the, the lifting hours away in development-wise, and you can go up to two hours of football classroom work and things like that and really broke things down uh, more, had film that we could – go back to where they had played and done some things and just how can we be better at, at those things. And, and some of the stuff, the guys, the, the jump that they're making is, is really exciting to see. Uh, we only got in really two spring ball practices. So, you know, it was really good that way. Um, and then all of a sudden it was taken away from us. So, uh, you know, that, that part of it, we still have a lot of stuff that we're working on and working through, but I'm really excited about, you know, the way the foundation was laid in year one, but really the growth that, that's occurring right now is really exciting. Um, I would say one of the things as a program we were doing, well, two things we, we did really, really well. One, we had the highest academic semester ever at Northern Illinois for a football program this fall. Uh, Coach Hammock is a two-time academic All-American that played at Northern Illinois, puts a high priority on academics and just developing young men and, and I think the culture that he's creating that way um, really is being competitive in everything we do and, and trying to win at everything we do but that was really good and then the recruiting aspect um, has really gone well I mean we have right now we have 12 commitments in this class and, and um, you know we're way ahead of I think, you know, obviously Miami of Ohio is recruiting well, but other than that, everybody else is between two and four commitments for the most part. Um, and we've only 
we've offered minimal guys. We're really big into developing relationships and getting to know the individual well before we would offer um, just to make sure that they're going to fit, you know, what we're doing. So I think identifying talent, recruiting, and then developing men were really good that first year. And now I think the on the field stuff, we're going to see a lot of growth, you know, year two from, from that standpoint. Coach, many of our listeners are high school coaches. Uh, if you had some advice to give to a young high school offensive coordinator, what would be the most important piece of that advice? And what would you do to help them become more successful? Yeah, you know, I think when you're the coordinator, um, the, the more talent you have, the less you end up doing, obviously, meaning scheme-wise. And I think if I look back, the best years that I've ever had were when we, we kept it simple and our kids were able to master it. And I think, you know, when you go around to clinics and you talk to people and you do things, there's a lot of great football out there and there's a lot of great ideas. What you have to figure out is what fits for you and what fits for your program. Um, two things. One, you have to play complementary football. So if you want to be a go fast, no huddle offense, then your head coach has to subscribe to that and because your defense is going to be put in tough situations. So you're going to be trying to win games 42 to 35. And so you can look really good because you're scoring a lot of points, but you're also putting a lot of stress on the other side of the football. So, you know, you just have to make sure you fit into what the head coach wants and what the identity of that he wants from a football program. That's something I've always tried to do, um, whether it be a two-back system or a one-back system or whatever the head coach wanted. I really tried to fit into there. And then really the, the, the less you do, the more your, your players can master and that's something I really believe that once they master it, then you can move on and add. But until they master it, you know, it, it really to have a lot of plays and them not be able to run them well, it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, lend itself to being, you know, sustainable success. And then I think just building a, a, a system that that, you know, you have answers for. So if teams are, you know, blitzing the offset back, then what's your answer? If teams are slanting to your tight end, what's your answer? And so things that you can go to um, when people are trying to, you know, shut down a certain play and, and gives you the next answer to it. And, and that that's a system, you know, and it's not, it's not just a bunch of plays that you run that, um, you know, you might have some success on. And, you know, there's always game plan things that you're going to add in here and there. But, you know, you got to have your, your foundational three runs. you got to have your foundational three-step, your, your five-step, your play action and screen game, you know. But, you know, really I think less is more. And so I think you, you figure out, once again, what can your kids do well? What can they master? Once they've mastered it, then it's time to, you know, to add some things in. But I think the – it's, it's, it's always hard to, to limit the package because you're always excited about things out there. But I think that's really, uh, that's why you're in that position is to put guys in good positions and, and uh, get them to be able to, to master the techniques it takes to, to be able to execute.